How you brothers doing? I want to thank Corey for this honor to stand before you brothers tonight. Uh, if you have your Bible, electronically or otherwise, could you turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel according to St. John chapter 1. I want to thank Mark Simon for that testimony on discipleship. Hoping there would be some pizza here or something like that. She's joking. <laughs> it's good to be here, brothers. What's the Bible verse? John chapter 1, starting at verse number 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I want to preach on the topic, the making of disciple makers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We adore you. We worship you. We pedestalize you. We magnify your name. I pray, Lord God, that I may decrease so that you may increase. That your people, Lord God, your men, will hear your words and not minds. I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will have his way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start by first asking you a very important question. How many of you would say within the humble confidence of your heart that you are truly a disciple of Christ by a show of hands? Put your hands down. How many of you would say within the humble confidence of your heart that you truly are a Christian? Raise your hand. Notice how the hands went up faster with the second question versus the first question. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? That somehow... We have arrived at this place where we kind of separated Christian from disciple. That you can actually be a Christian and not necessarily be a disciple. Where did that come from? That kind of concept is foreign to the Bible. See what we have to understand that today in our culture, there's a hole in the gospel in our culture. 
What exactly is that hole in our gospel? It's a fatal defect in the life of Christ's church. It's a gospel that separates believers from the call to discipleship. It's a gospel that offers salvation without the demands of sanctification. Wow. It's a separation of faith from practice. It's a severing of John 3.16 from Luke chapter 9 verse 23. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall not perish but have everlasting life. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We severed that. We divorced those passages. See, the gospel with the hole in it teaches that you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and not necessarily be a follower of Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that German theologian who was in an attempt to stop Hitler in his madness, that theologian, he said that Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. James Boyce makes a profound statement in this regard. He says, we want so much to win people to Christ that we have watered down the gospel to the point where believing in Christ hardly means anything. And would it surprise you that the majority of Americans actually identify themselves as Christians? Yet when you take apart what they believe, you'll discover that those who call themselves Christians haven't really studied their Bible at all. A scary percentage believes in universalism, that all roads lead to God, that Christian, Christians and Muslims basically believe in the same God. How did this happen? You see, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the Bible. And each time it's used, watch this, two times on two occasions is used by pagans to refer to Christ's disciples. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The second occasion was when King Paul was trying to persuade King Agrippa, and he said, you, you had almost persuaded me to become a what? See, Christian back in that time was a derogatory term. It's almost like somebody calling you a Jesus freak or a, a Jesus fanatic or a holy roller. It was a shameful term. But we endured it. They embraced it because they wanted to be identified with Christ. The only other time the word Christian is used in the New Testament is in 1 Peter chapter 4 where Peter says, he says, rejoice that you suffer as a Christian. Christian had the connotations of suffering for Christ. And today, it hardly means disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. If Christian is only mentioned three times in the corpus of scripture, discipleship is or disciple is mentioned over 250 times in the Bible. And the Lord has given me something, three points I want to share with you 
and I'm going to take my seat because I'm on a time schedule here. Discipleship, three points, begins with Christ pursuing us. Secondly, beholding Christ compels us to follow him. And thirdly, following Christ compels us to make disciples. Let me give you the first point. Discipleship begins with Christ pursuing us. Verse 35, it says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Jump up to verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Preached the same sermon two days in a row. John tells us that really discipleship begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God moving towards us in Christ. God revealing himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. He's moving towards us. <laughs> the word tabernacle, he comes down and dwells with us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you jump down further, it says, verse 18, that no one, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The Greek term for made him known is the word exegesis. Everybody say exegesis. exegesis. That's the proper way to study the scriptures. Exegesis means to extract out what's actually there. It means to explain or to gather what's actually there, not to push our thoughts in. Exegesis means to push in, but exegesis means to extract out what's there. Jesus explains the Father to us. If you ever want to know God the Father, you got to get to know God the Son. Nobody can come. No one can come to God the Father except through Christ. So if we're going to be a disciple of Christ and understand the reality of discipleship, it starts with our understanding of and our grip on the gospel. The moment there's a hole in the gospel and a hole in our understanding of the gospel, then that affects whether I truly follow him. John said, behold the Lamb of God. And when John said, behold the Lamb of God, his readers understood exactly what that 
word meant or what that term meant. The lamb. Although John only uses this word a couple of times in his in, in this book and also in Revelations, it's a rare term, but they understood the lamb and they understood the sacrificial system. And people, uh, God's people back in the Old Testament had to sacrifice lambs on the altar for the forgiveness of their sins. They had to do it daily. And imagine hundreds and thousands of lambs being sacrificed on the altar could never take away their sins at all. And suddenly, God makes a way for us to take away every single sin we've ever committed through the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, this ideal of Jesus being the Lamb of God is what theologians call the atonement. Anybody say atonement? atonement. When, you, when you look at the etymology of the word atonement, it means to be at one met, meant to be at one with. We were meant to be at one with God. Adam and Eve were meant to be at one with God, but sin disrupted that oneness with God. And so God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to become the Lamb of God to restore us into a right relationship with him. So we have to understand that 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 the pursuit begins with Christ initiating discipleship with us. And secondly, beholding Christ compels us to follow him. I'm reminded of the Hebrew writer that says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Paul also said that Behold, beholding the glory of God, we are being changed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. The scripture says here that as John's disciples heard John speak, behold the Lamb of God, they left him and followed after Jesus. They began to pursue him. And part of being a disciple of Christ is, is pursuing him, following hard after him. And what's very interesting is as these disciples started following behind Jesus, Jesus turns toward them and asks them a question, what are you seeking? What do you want? What do you want? And instead of them getting into theological debate with him or wanting to be presumptuous, they say, where are you staying? And the Jewish circle was called the Socratic method. You answer a question with a question. What do you want? Where are you staying? Amazingly, Jesus says to them, come and see. 
So the question I, I raise to you brothers when we think about discipleship is where are you staying? A great theologian said the obligation of every generation is to find what God is up to and join him. <laughs> where are you staying? Where are you residing? They, they didn't want, want to know where Jesus was at because they wanted to see his crib. They, they didn't want to see his house. Jesus, Jesus said that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he was technically homeless. The place where he laid his head was on the cross. And even that, he couldn't lay his head. It reminds me of that disciple, that would-be disciple who said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Lord, where are you staying? And Jesus says to them, come and see. And I was thinking about that term, that question the Lord was asking me, where are you staying? Where are you taking up residence? Are you taking up residence in his word? Later on in John chapter 15, he says, abide in me and my words abide in you and you will truly be my disciples. The word stay right here is the same word for abiding in Christ. Mano. It means to remain in, in or to stay in. The question is, are we taking up residence in God's word? Is it our address? Are we abiding in him? It is savoring the teachings of Christ. In your study, is he leading you to the person and work of Christ? When you read God's word, are you seeing words or are you seeing him? When his disciples were on the road of Emmaus after his resurrection, and when Jesus disappeared from them, their sight, after Jesus got finished explaining to them all of the scriptures that pertains to him, they said, did not our hearts burn when the Lord spoke to us in the way? Wouldn't it be incredible that when you are really walking with him as a disciple of Christ, being intimate with him, that your heart burns as a result of him speaking to you? That's what I pray for. God, when you speak to me, I don't want to say that was a good word. Thank you for that great word. But did not our hearts burn, Lord, when you spoke to us in the way? You see, it's not about just studying the scriptures. It's about studying the scriptures to arrive at the person of Jesus Christ. He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify about me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. They knew the word of God, but they, didn't, they did not know the God of the word. When we spend time contemplating Christ, we become lit for Christ. And I was challenged, I was, I was studying this word, I was thinking about how just showing up is great. We can participate in showing up, but just showing up is not going to automatically mean that we are growing in our faith. We need to show up, but we have to be intentional about what it means to spend quality time with Christ. 
beholding him, residing in his word. The scripture says, blessed is man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand away of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water, which shall bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever that man does shall prosper. Notice that he had to change his diet and his environment. What is my diet? Is my diet the word of God? Am I still in the same kind of environmental influences that are, you say, well, you know what, I'm not, no, I'm no longer in that kind of environment and, and, and have those kinds of friends or influences, but I haven't changed my diet. I'm still not really reading the word of God. So showing up doesn't really guarantee that we're going to grow spiritually. We have to be very intentional about cultivating our walk with Christ, growing with, growing with him, walking in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the first part is we have to understand that that discipleship begins with Christ pursuing us. Secondly, we have to learn how to behold Christ. Look upon him. That, that's John's theme throughout this entire book. Come and see. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, that all those who looked at that serpent was healed. So the Son of Man will be lifted up from the earth that anyone who looks upon him will be saved. Not only is it important for us to pursue him, but also being a disciple of Christ, lastly, compels us to make disciples for Christ. Notice here, it says, verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Notice the first thing that he did when he became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. What did he do? He first found his own brother and brought him to Jesus. I really believe in all my heart that it does not take you a whole lot of growth in classes in order for you to share Christ. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a deacon or a pastor or a leader to actually share Christ. And yet, we have somehow professionalized evangelism and discipleship that you are the guys we're paying, so you guys should be doing discipleship. But in reality, the scripture says that God has given these gifts to the body, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, for the edification of the body of Christ to build up the saints for the work of the ministry. So everyone is required to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Every believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ at the moment of conversion, not later, but right now. Even the woman at the well, she was a disciple of Jesus Christ. At the moment of conversion. Come see a man who told me everything I ever knew. She, she didn't have really good theology already. You Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to, to worship. We worship on Mount Israel. 
Her theology was off. But she knew one thing. She had a testimony. Come see a man who told me everything I ever knew. Could this be the Christ? I remember um, being saved for only maybe one year. And I noticed that God was working on my brother, my little brother, to bring him to recognize the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we both stayed in the same room as teens. And I remember uh, my brother watching me at a distance. I didn't know how much he was watching me. But he saw that I was the only one in the household that was a believer, became a believer of Christ. And he was watching me. I, I didn't know how much he was watching me. But one day, we, he, was, he came to Bible study with me, and uh, he had ended up surrendering himself to Christ in that moment. And we were in a group, and we were in a prayer group, and he began to share with folks in the group how I had influenced him. And I had no idea how much I was influencing my brother. And today, 20 years later, my brother is on fire for Christ. Uh, I remember when he, in his formative years of following Christ, he, I knew exactly where he prayed because he burned holes in a carpet. Because he was just praying so much on his knees and he would plaster scriptures around the walls. But this boy is on fire right now. And I really believe that God is calling us to, first of all, when we're going to be committed to making disciples, we have to start with our own household. I remember God bringing my family uh, to recognize the gospel. The Lord told me to buy them all Bibles for Christmas. So that's what I did. I bought them all Bibles for Christmas. And I said, well, they're just going to collect dust. They're not going to go to church with me. And lo and behold, everyone came to church that Easter after that Christmas. And I remember I had my, my mother there, my sister, her boyfriend, uh, my Little sister was there, and they all came. And after the preach word, um, I saw my family go up and to receive Christ. And my mother, she's on fire for the Lord right now. She's involved in the choir at her church, and she's doing a, you know, she's just an amazing woman. But I just praise God that uh, God is calling us as believers to sow into our, our families first. Make disciples of our families first. Amen? Amen. The Bible says he first found his brother and brought him to Jesus. So my question is to you, who is God calling you to bring to Jesus? Who is he calling you to pray for? Who is he calling you to challenge? I want you to think about that. Because whether you know it or not, you are a disciple of Christ. You are a disciple of Christ. And we are called to make disciples for Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We pray that you will help us, Lord God, to understand what it means, Lord God, that you have pursued us in Christ. And you call this, Lord God, to behold you in order to follow you. And lastly, Father, you call us to make disciples who are committed to making disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.